Thanks, guys. That was fabulous. I love that. That was awesome. Get rid of all my notes from this morning up here. All right. I want to invite your attention tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 tonight. And um, it's kind of hard to compete with grandparent night in Awana. Uh, but I think, it's, I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for, to have the grandparents a part of that. And uh, those kids are deserving of our attention and our encouragement. And I think at the... The younger we start that, the better. And so I'm, I'm all in favor of that and thank God for the opportunity that grandparents have tonight to be a part of that. Tonight, in this uh, text of Scripture, we have a lesson on forgiveness. A lesson on forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, verse number 5. 2 Corinthians 2, verse number 5. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which is inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him, For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's pray together. Father, we come tonight and just uh, recognize, Lord, that uh, we come needing you. And Lord, I don't have the ability to do what needs to be done tonight. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that, uh, Father, that we need for this moment. And God, there's no doubt that this is a a relevant subject for me, for us, for, for everyone, Lord. And God, help us to be a church and individuals that know how uh, to forgive. And Lord, we give you thanks for the times of worship tonight that we've been able to uh, share together in lifting our individual hearts and collectively our hearts to you in song and praise and in adoration for who you are. So God, for this time, we give it to you and pray that you'd receive the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in in a time where it is very much an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and maybe uh, even worse, that we don't even like to settle for just getting even. Uh, we might like to get one up uh, on somebody else even, all right? But, uh, you know, this is what uh, the world is very good at, that, uh, that idea and that philosophy. But unfortunately, it seems like that cruel mentality and that we feel like that we can demand uh, our rights, that we need to get some sort of restitution for some way that we have uh, been wrong that is not just in the world, but it seems like that it has crept its way, that it finds its way, and very comfortably so, that it finds its way in the house of God, it finds its way in the, in the people of God. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind as I uh, give thought to it and I think about 
of the things that I personally know that the church, and I, let me qualify that, the church as I know it, the church in the United States of America, that it is cursed by unforgiveness, uh, that it is cursed because that we have not learned how to forgive, and, and maybe we have not learned maybe a very gracious way of saying that we have chosen uh, to live a life of unforgiveness and to our demise that it has far-reaching consequences in our life individually and in our lives collectively as a congregation. You know, it's often been said that unforgiveness is like a cancer, and I believe there is a whole lot of truth in that, that it's more than simple uh, spiritual fodder for discussion, but there is very much uh, the very much the simplicity of the fact that oftentimes that we allow that bitter, bitterness, unforgiveness uh, to breed in our lives and that it does not stop uh, once it takes a foothold, gets a foothold in our hearts and lives, that it continues to grow and that it continues to spread as a very, very much a disease, a disease of our soul uh, that slowly takes over if it is not dealt with in a very uh, radical way. You know, that's how it is when you're treating and dealing with cancer. You've got to deal with it in a radical way because of the devastation and the harm that it produces and that it does it in a very uh, quick-like manner. So unforgiveness, that it imprisons us, that unforgiveness is like a self-inflicted wound in our life and that it, it, takes, it takes its toll on our body. So uh, I believe that we would all say that unforgiveness, that it, that it brings hurt, that it brings destruction, and the, and the opposite of that, as we think about forgiveness... Uh, that it brings help, that it brings healing, that it brings life, that it brings freedom. And we, as we look at uh, those around us, as we look at our own lives, uh, that we see people, and sometimes we have to admit uh, that, that we see it in ourselves, uh, that spirit of unforgiveness. Sometimes uh, I notice people in their life that they, that they live and they, it seems like they move from th this set of friends to this set of friends to this set of friends and always on the move among people because there's always someone uh, that is offending them, always someone that they can't seem to get along with and it's always everybody else's fault. Everybody else has got a problem. And, but these people, that they move along, and eventually they're going to get to the place where they don't have anybody else to move along to. And maybe, just maybe at that point, uh, they'll figure out that there's an issue of unforgiveness. And so for me, I deal with unforgiveness. I deal with unforgiveness daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. I don't know about you or not. I can't speak for you, but I believe that we can say that it is a common issue among believers individually and here in this text of scripture it's more of a corporate issue uh, than it is an individual uh, issue but in nonetheless we must deal with it individually if we can ever deal with it corporately as a body of Christ as I was studying uh, and preparing for this this time I was reading after uh, John MacArthur MacArthur we got a lot of different views on MacArthur he's got a lot of good stuff some things I don't agree with him on some things that I'm straight down the line with him on 
But you know what? As you read and study, I read and study from a whole lot of people. Some I agree with, some I don't agree with. But in through all that, you take a lot of things in that I think that are beneficial and helpful. You have to discard the things that you don't feel what lines up with the Word of God, and you take in the things that you feel like that does. And here, uh, he mentioned 10 things about forgiveness that I think is very relevant and important. I'm going to go over those things real quickly, and then we're going to get into the text of Scripture. He gives 10 reasons why that we should forgive and forgive quickly. Number one, we are no more like God than when we forgive. Isn't that true? That because God has extended forgiveness toward us and that we are no more like Him than when we forgive. Number two, in the sixth commandment, it says that you shall not murder. As Jesus goes on to expand and explain that text to Scripture, he, he goes on, he says, But I say unto you, if you are angry with your brother without cause, that it is a, uh, that is a cause of danger to judgment. You see that he takes that to a different level it even and likens it even to murder. Number three, whoever offends another person, he actually offends God more than he does that person. And so we understand that an offense between a brother or a sister is greater than between two human beings, that God is more greatly offended in it all than we are. Number four, those who have been forgiven much, that we are expected to, to forgive much as well. You know, as you look at your life and I look at my life, we know that God has forgiven us of so many great things. And because that He has forgiven us, that you and I, that we are required, we are demanded, we are expected to extend forgiveness to other people. Number five, believers who refuse to forgive, they forfeit the blessing of fellowship. Forfeit the blessing of fellowship, isn't it? It's terrible in our lives when we don't have free fellowship one with another, that it's just disturbing in our soul. And so we forfeit that when we fail to forgive. Number six, that we open ourselves up to divine chastening. In James chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, For he shall have judgment without mercy for those who have shown no mercy. See, that we, that we open ourselves up to divine chastisement when we fail to have mercy toward other people that we won't receive mercy. Number seven, in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, says that our forgiveness from God depends upon our forgiveness of other people. He says, if you forgive, your Father will forgive you. And if you forgive not, your Father will forgive not you. And so, that's a great reason for us to forgive, that we can walk in forgiveness before God. Number eight, in Matthew 5 and 23 and 24, that he says that it hinders our worship. He says, before you come bringing your offering and your sacrifice, go make it right with your brother. Now, isn't that a shame that we can come and that we can give an hour or two or three to worship and that our, then in all essence that it has been nullified, it's void in, 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 on what we have done if we have ought against one another. He says, so forgive so that your worship can have meaning and context to it. And then verse, and then number nine, he says that when we fail to forgive, we try to take God's place. In, in the book of Romans 12, 19, it says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. 
It's not my job or your job to get somebody back. God's going to take care of that. You keep living, you keep trucking, and you walk in forgiveness one with another. And lastly, he says, recognize that ex- exercising forgiveness is, God's, is part of God's process of maturation. It's part of God's process of maturity in our lives. Matthew 5 again, love our enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That through the process of forgiveness that God is working in our hearts to put us in the right place and for us to value and to put others in the right perspective as well. And each and every one of us, no matter how old we are, that God is still working on us. And so all those, I believe, are legitimate reasons and and promptings for us to be people to exercise forgiveness. Now, in tonight's text, it says Paul is encouraging uh, forgiveness for one who had apparently caused uh, trouble and many take it to believe uh, that someone had had publicly and had fiercely verbally attacked uh, the Apostle Paul there uh, in that congregation that they had made uh, attacks upon him based upon uh, falsehood and unfounded things. Now, it doesn't say specifically uh, what went on here, but we take from the text and we can read between the lines and see that he is no longer a part uh, of this congregation and of this fellowship. But we see also in this text that apparently that this, uh, this brother, that he had repented and that he had made every effort to do the right thing and to make it right. And so that's kind of the context that we see this happening uh, in. Now, the problem uh, now isn't with the offender. Now the problem is with the offended. The church uh, now is more of the problem uh, than the old boy was that that went head to head with the Apostle Paul. That the church is having a problem uh, extending uh, forgiveness toward this brother. And so, uh, you know, that's reality. That's reality in our lives personally. Even when people uh, come to Uh, may come and try to make things right with us personally, uh, or even if they don't come to make things right personally, I I believe that we don't forgive uh, on the basis of what other people done. We forgive on the basis of what Christ has done, all right? So it's really immaterial of what somebody else does, but we have an obligation that we have a responsibility as God's people that we would that we would gracious, we would take that uh, with grace and that we would extend forgiveness to people who have offended us. And as I said, whether they have come to us or whether they have not come to us is immaterial, I think, in the grand scheme of things. But we must be people that we extend grace, that we extend forgiveness to those uh, who we may be uh, in some sort of issue with. And so Paul, his, his beef is that he knows that unforgiveness in the church, 
that it cripples the ministry, that it hinders the fellowship, that it ruins the worship, that it hinders our prayer life, that there is a multitude of things that are affected by unforgiveness in our lives. So it is not just a personal affair when we harbor unforgiveness in our life that it affects each and every one of us in a very real way. And so Paul understood that probably more so even than I do. But here tonight in verse 5 through 11, I have three things uh, in this text of Scripture. In verse number 5, we see the reality, the reality of the pain. The reality of the pain. And then 6 through 11, we see the restoration, the restoration of the person. I mean, 6 through 8, the restoration of the person. And then in 9 through 11, we see the reason of the proof. The reason of the proof. Those three things, the reality of the pain, the restoration of the person, and the reason of the proof. Now, in verse number 5, let's look at that. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Now, this confrontation and altercation between uh, Paul... And this unnamed individual, that it has obviously caused great pain and problems and heartache throughout the entire congregation. Now, Paul addresses, as you can see here, that Paul, he addresses this, uh, I think, very in a very sensitive way. He addresses it very graciously as he pins these words. He didn't call names. He didn't rehash it. He didn't try to get everyone fired up again and, and stoke the coals and, and do all those things. That wasn't Paul's mode or method that wasn't his ambition as he pins these words that he recognizes though he recognizes that the pain is real now when we are dealing with conflict when we are dealing with the idea and and the process of forgiveness we do not pretend like something did not happen that's what Paul does that he recognizes that the pain is legitimate the pain is real and so if we're going to get down to the business of forgiveness we can't be pretending that it didn't hurt but we, we get to the reality of it that it did hurt that it did cause pain but Paul was not he was not I should not you should not be in the you should not be in the business of finger pointing got it we should not be in the business of finger pointing but then we you know we don't play the victim we don't play the victim in it and that's a temptation in in our lives as we deal with 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 forgiveness and and confronting one another, that we don't play the victim. But you see that Paul put things in proper perspective here. He put it in proper perspective. He says, but if any cause grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part... Paul could say, yeah, it's just, it's just been terrible on me. I'm woe is me. I've been, I've been done wrong. He said, oh, don't, don't worry about me. It's just it's been done in part to me. It's been done to all of us. And it's nothing that I'm not experiencing anything everybody else hasn't already experienced in life. That Paul just put it out there. He didn't make it more than it was. But you see, the body of Christ is unique the water body of Christ is fashioned in a wonderful way 
as we know that the book of Corinthians says there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that, you know, when, when one's made to rejoice, we're all made to rejoice, but when one suffers, we all suffer with it. And so that's how and that's why that relationships are so important. Especially, you know, here in western Kentucky, everybody's kin to everybody, right? Everybody's related to everybody in some way, shape, form. So if there's an issue with this person right here, then inevitably there's also an issue with that person and that person and that person, right? Yeah. So it's so important we understand the dynamic of the family of God and that we keep our lives We keep it intact, one with another. So Paul understood that he was hurt, and as he was hurt in it, that other people were hurt as well. But now, he places forgiveness in the equation. And he knew that also, if he handled this situation right, and he extended forgiveness, then that would also allow this person and this person and this person to handle it right as well and to extend forgiveness as well. You see that how we react, how we act and how we react is not just about us, but it affects other people as well. And it gives them permission, it gives other people permission to to act wrong or to act right as according to how we act. And so your life and my life, my reaction and your reaction, is bigger than just me. And so it should cause us to walk very carefully in life. And that we nurture and that we take care of those relationships. But we see the oneness of our actions and how that our lives affect one another. We can't get around that. That your life, my life, affects other people in the dynamic of this church. And so that we walk carefully, cautiously. It should should dictate how that you and I, that we do church, that we place a priority on one another and in our lives, that we don't, you know, go jumping here, there, and yonder and be inconsistent. One writer called it, Uh, McChurch, MC Church, McChurch, have it your way type stuff. McChurch. And that's how we are today. If we don't like a little something, we'll just kick back and we'll do our own thing and we'll just let everybody else do it. If we don't like this, we'll do this. We'll, you know, and that is not how God has called us. You cannot, you cannot live your little life with it not affecting the people that are around you in your church family. It will not happen. It's important we understand that. Guys, we, we as Trace Greek, we need, to, we need to model this well. As leaders, we need to model this well. Individuals that we take it to heart. But anyway, that Paul, he stresses the reality of the pain. He doesn't try to skirt around that in the process. But he realizes that's reality. Now, number two. Six through eight, the restoration of the person. Restoration of the person. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up 
with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Now, Paul has admitted uh, the pain that was caused, and everybody knows the pain that was caused here. But now, uh, he, he sets the pace by how he views it. Now he leads the church, uh, not, not just in how he views the pain, but leads the church in how he brings forgiveness personally and, and wants desires, desires for this person uh, to receive comfort. Now, again, this punishment uh, seems to be uh, some sort of disfellowship with this person. We don't know the details of that. It could just simply be a confrontation uh, with this person where the law was laid down uh, for them. We don't know what it was, but whatever, uh, time has given this old boy you know, some, some better insight, and now he has thought better of what he has done, that the Holy Spirit of God has taken this confrontation uh, and used it for him to see the reality of his actions and that he has now come to a place of repentance and brokenness and he sees the error of his way. Now, that is the, uh, that's a big part of what we see here. That now, because someone <clears throat> can be confronted when they are wrong and they can, they can rebel against that, they can buck up against that, or uh, they can be repentant and they can be broken. So you can rebel and buck up or you can repent and be broken. There's your two options. That's what you're going to do when you're confronted. And so this old boy, uh, that he has been repentant and broken over this in his life. And so Paul, that Paul's kept an eye on this fellow, kept in contact with this guy. He's, he's concerned about his spiritual well-being. You know what, that, at the end of the day, uh, that, that's a lot of it. That you and I, that we be concerned about the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters. You see, at, at, I, I hope and pray that their confrontation with this person was with the desire that they would get things right. Uh, Any time that confrontation is to uh, just simply prove a point or to get one's way, that it is always wrong at the core. But sometimes that it can be for the right purposes, and I pray to God uh, that it was. But Paul's great concern here is that after repentance and brokenness has taken place in this guy's life, and that should be, it should be, really come around to a spiritual victory, but his concern is that, it, that Satan could use it and further destroy this person and ruin them uh, for the rest of their days. This man, he says, this word he used, that he could be swallowed up. He could be swallowed up in verse number 7. He says that you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. This is the same, the same uh, idea uh, as in the Old Testament when those people rebelled against Moses and the ground swallowed them up. Same word, same idea here, same thought. And that's how Satan desires to do, to take, take someone uh, who has come to a place of brokenness and repentance, and instead of it being a victory, that Satan uses it to discourage them even further and to bring ruin and destruction in their life. 
And so we need to be aware of that, that we need to be very much aware uh, that that is how, that we need to, we need to respond with comfort, we need to respond with forgiveness, and I believe you see that Paul, his heart was that always go to those who are broken and respond to them with aid, compassion, and great care. And that's how we are to do collectively. That's what we are to do individually uh, as we respond to those who have come to the place of repentance and brokenness in their life that we should be quick to forgive and that we should be quick to run and to encourage them to further pursue holiness, righteousness, to encourage them in their walk of faith. Then lastly... The reason of the proof in 9 through 11. 9 through 11. For this end also did I write, or for this reason, for this reason did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, if these people failed, if these people failed to extend genuine, legitimate forgiveness toward this repentant, broken brother, then it would show that they had bigger problems than this brother did. All right? And I think that is true in our lives today. If we fail uh, to accept and extend uh, real forgiveness toward broken people, toward repentant people, then it just gives evidence that we have got bigger problems than they ever had to start with. And so that's hard for us to swallow, that we say, well, we hang on. Well, you don't know what they did to me. That don't, that don't, don't hold water. That won't work. Don't count. So he says that we must extend. Now, if we fail to do that, he's, he says that you've got big problems. He says it's going to prove the reality of your faith. See, these are things that really prove where we're at. When everything's rosy, we can, all, we can all look good. But when we have real issues in life, that's when it shows where we are at spiritually speaking. And that really puts us to the test if we're really going to live out our faith. And Paul and I said, you know, I forgive so that you can have freedom to forgive. That was his uh, argument here. He says that I've forgiven and it was against me. And so since I've forgiven, now you can forgive as well. In verse 10 it says, For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He says, what I did was really more than just for me. It was for you. That you could see that I could forgive. You know, Paul is a great example for us that he, he does some great things in most every time that he's a great example that we can follow. And that's why Paul said, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ. You know, I believe that you and I, that we must realize that, that our lives set an example for somebody. 
Always, there's always somebody watching your life. Always somebody following the example of my life. Is it your children? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Is it your co-worker? Is it your family member? Who is it? I don't know. But there's always somebody that's following your example. And as you forgive, as you choose to forgive, that it gives them the gumption in their life. It gives them the boldness. It gives them the conviction in order to forgive as well. Now, what did he say? I've done it in the person of Christ. Now, that's really it. That all forgiveness is based upon Christ and that he has forgiven us, that we have been forgiven. Therefore, there is nothing that you and I can't forgive. Now, I know and you know that there are atrocious things that happen in people's life that I don't understand how we can forgive that doesn't matter if I understand it I just know that I have greatly offended God and that there is no sin that you or I will ever commit that God is not capable of forgiving and because of that there is nothing that anybody can do to me or do to you that is unforgivable nothing And he does it on the basis of Christ. Ephesians 4.32 Even as God, as for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's tough. That's tough medicine. But it's true. And know that it's possible as we give it and surrender it to Christ. But not only do we see that Christ demands it. Christ empowers it. Isn't that amazing about the demands of God that he places on our life? That he just doesn't simply demand it, but he also gives us the power to execute it. And that's what Christ, through Christ, that's how we do it. That we extend forgiveness through Christ. Look at 11 and we're finished. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices an unforgiving heart falls right into the trap of the devil and the devil has traps set all over for you and for me to fall in and unforgiveness is one of his better traps I was reading this week in a uh, commentary and it give the little synopsis or whatever a little not, not a synopsis but just a little segment from the life of Corey Tin Boone as she pins it in the hiding place it says Corey Tin Boone recalled in her book The Hiding Place about a post-war meeting with a guard from the concentration camp where her sister died and that she suffered terrible indignities. She goes on to say, I was at a church service in Munich when I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly... It was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, and my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. 
he came up to me after the church emptied, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Frohlein, he said. I think that, as you say, that thank God that he has washed my sins away. His hand thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people in Romendal, they need to forgive. I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile and struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While in my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Forgiveness. I don't think there's a one of us who can't stand a refresher on the lesson of forgiveness. I believe there's probably something in your heart and mind right now that sprang to the forefront of someone, a situation that you need to forgive. Remember, immaterial. Immaterial if they come and ask for it or not. Our forgiveness is contingent upon the fact that we've been forgiven. So let's individually, let's as a church know how to forgive. Let's pray together. Father, for this time tonight,